Okay. Six white boomers, <laughs> white boomers, racing Santa Claus through the blazing sun. Wow. All it's right. It's about like kangaroos where like the, in Austra- Australia, they can't use reindeer down there, pull a sleigh because it's too dang hot. So they have kangaroos, <laughs> so they got kangaroos pulling the sleigh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Take two. <laughs> what's going on thank you for tuning in thank you for listening thank you for being here you beautiful person you this is the eclectic i hope you enjoy this episode so much as much as i enjoyed recording it for you yeah for you listening right now i made it so that you could smile a little bit be a little bit happier i hope this brings you five percent more happiness in your life I wish it was 100% more happiness, but uh, that's assuming that you're not already happy uh, as can be. And if you're not, then I hope it is that 100%. Either way, it's going to be a very funny episode because this is the first time we've had a comedian on the show. That's Brett Hutchinson, and I'll introduce him. Uh, For now, I just want to introduce today's episode, uh, give you some context. For the first, you know, about 7-10 minutes, we get to know a little bit about Brett. Then we get through Brett's journey as a comedian. He is a funny one. So many good tips. We share some laughs along the way and listen uh, to a bit of his stand-up from a recording of his live performance you can find on YouTube, uh, and the link will be in the description. You can also listen to the trailer I made for the show. That's basically all the highlights uh, and a laugh reel of me and Brett just going for days um, because it's really that funny. We're going to end with a musical feature for today's episode, which is my boy Hemin, a.k.a. The Blue, uh, featuring Wyatt Tremblay on the track Where I've Been At. Where I've Been At? I don't know. You'll, you'll find out if you listen to the end. Uh, you can check out their music video on YouTube um, and stay in the loop if you follow them on Instagram. That's The Blue XO on Instagram uh, and Wyatt Tremblay. And that's uh, all I got to say right now. I hope you enjoy what it is to come. And thank you to Joel for making this dope beat. That is our new intro song. Without any more delay, here is a bit of laughter and joy in your life. Uh, I hope you're all having a wonderful Friday afternoon. You're tuned into CKXU 88.3 FM. This is the eclectic, um, and the person you're hearing uh, through your speakers is you, your co-host of the show. I'm basically just the vessel uh, that that we are using to navigate these waters. Um, Yes, my job is to introduce to you every single week a different guest host, and this guest host is... Uh, a special one. Uh, we're we're delving into a different a different source material, the the, the comedic kind, the funny kind. Um, so my next guest for today is a very well known, not just unifaceted but multifaceted uh, performing artist, dabbling in many areas of the creative expression. You know, he's tried music, done a little bit of improv acting. Another art form is fly fishing that he's into. But mainly known for his uh, lighthearted comedic stylings. 
uh, in these parts of Canada. We could say he's a touring artist. He tours around doing comedy, making people laugh, putting smiles on people's faces, uh, doing quite a few, like I said, rotating shows around the southern Alberta region, but I don't know. There could be other areas. We're going to ask him soon. He's also interested and passionate about biology, biodiversity, aquatic health, invasive species, and um, research. Who knew? He's got a day job. It's totally different. Uh, but we'll get into that as well, other interests and how they kind of all come into one, if ever they do. Uh, so biologist by day, comedian by night. Uh, he's a beautiful, bearded, purebred mountain man. As one person introduced him, the sultan of humor, a jester of funny, the messiah of bearded men, Brett Hutchinson. <laughs> the messiah of bearded men? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, some would say you you have a air of Jesus of you uh, about you. <laughs> Southern Alberta, we probably shouldn't be starting the show off like that. <laughs> Start off uh, with a bang. I like yeah, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah. No problem. And uh, is there anything else that I missed in your introduction? How how the heck are you? My question is. So I've known you first as a comedian. Yeah. That's I think how most people know you. They uh, and then. You also have quite a quite an interest in um, and and have Im- impacted science to a degree in 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 terms of research. Uh, you've been involved with uh, different projects. What got you into um, this 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 area? What, what yeah? Got into how did I get into comedy? Into biology. And oh, okay. Biology yeah. first. Let's start with everything else outside <laughs> of comedy, okay. and then we'll yeah. get back into comedy. But let's get a wholesome picture of like, oh, if I didn't know you outside of comedy, what would that look like for Brad? Typical kid who didn't know what he wanted to do in university, so he picked whatever he was best at in high school. So took a bio degree. Turns out I I love it, man. Mm-hmm. Nature is so wild. <laughs> so yeah. Got really into fly fishing also through the biology degree and Mm -hmm. got to work in a research station here in Lethbridge working on uh, raising insects to fight invasive species. Whoa. Yeah. Were you just like giving these insects some gladiator uniforms and just sending them out into the wild? Well, my job was to find out what food they liked. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I was like a little bug chef. (laughs) Nice. So, yeah, I killed a lot of caterpillars. Caterpillars. Yeah, so I was working with these, like, moths called, uh, I only know their scientific name, Hypena opulenta. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I would make them food and see which food they liked the best and which food they grow on the best. And first run of the experiment, I think I had a 91% death rate. So only 9% of my animals survived. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then second go around, bumped that 9% up to a solid 65. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't kill as many. Uh huh. Yeah. Chef Brett, and then you just like retired. Then I retired from the research scene. <laughs> uh, but no, I have been working with Parks Canada for mm-hmm. a couple years here. Last year I was a janitor with them. That was fun. Not in biology realm at all, but I got to clean a lot of toilets, see a lot of things you wouldn't ever want to see. Mm-hmm. But working in Waterton. Yeah, I worked in the National Park, Waterton Lakes there, which yeah. is beautiful beautiful when you get i would a, love to live in the mountains oh it's great man yeah 
where like you don't have traffic jams stopping you from getting to work on time. It's like a herd of mountain goats mm-hmm. just sitting in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Deer just flocking in front of your you know driveway, your car, and you gotta. Yeah, well, sorry, man. I'm I'm late for work because there's a bear outside my door, and I just really don't want to bother him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. And so, did you also grow up in Fernie? Is um, that right? no. Spent some time. I there? spent a lot of time out there. My folks had a place out there. Um, they bought a place out there in 1999. So since then, been spending every weekend out there. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Went to school there. Did all that stuff. And then yeah, every weekend go out to Fernie to go skiing, biking. All that good stuff. The only things to do in Fernie. Yeah, there's nothing else there, man. Yeah, they have everybody a, has a mountain bike and a ski or snowboards. So. Yeah, and if you don't ski or snowboard there, you, you basically get run out of town. Wow. Yeah, my brother's living there right now, and he's he's not a skier or a snowboarder, and yeah. he's he's having a tough time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. he's in the midway from moving from Vancouver to Toronto, so he stopped there. Wow. Yeah. He's got a ways to go from here. Yeah, he really didn't make it that (laughs) far. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, fly fishing. When did you get into fly fishing? Uh, That would have been about four, five years ago now. Five years ago. So it wasn't something I grew up with. Mm -hmm. Um, I was working on a construction crew out here doing stone masonry. And the head mason as well as his apprentice were both big fishermen, so... I had nobody to hang out with over the summer except for my work colleagues, so I had to figure out how to fish, and mm-hmm. oh man. Best thing ever. Best thing ever. Ne- nothing better than having a night off work or a day off work and just going into the woods, walking down a river, having a beer, and just staring at a river. Wow. Yeah, it's great. Therapeutic. Very therapeutic. Yeah. And Slows things down, maybe. Yeah. Like... You're just happy to be outside walking around, no matter the weather. If you catch something, it makes it a bit better, but mm-hmm. you can still just vibe and walk around and have a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this year, I think the past couple of years were, I actually got like super intense about it and started tying my own like flies and stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Okay. And then um, I just was creeping your Insta G and I saw a picture of you just like cradling a guitar about to about to jam out with your friends yeah um tell me about music and how and then how that has maybe a role in so i started playing music well before i ever even thought of getting into stand-up or anything so wow i picked up a bass when i was about eight years old and i've been playing bass ever since um yeah i played in played in a bunch of bands throughout high school as well as my high school jazz band i learned how to play upright bass Mm -hmm. played in a lot of rock bands also learned how to play trombone through high school band and everything. Wow. So mm-hmm. I was in a seven-piece funk band for a, for a year or two there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah. Which one of those did you just, like, really get into? The funk, the rock, the school band? I'm sure it's not the school band. I was a band geek, man. <laughs> I loved that. Nice. Man, yeah, the jazz band, uh, I loved it. I know it sounds kind of corny and nerdy of me, but... It was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. like learning how to play upright and the piano player I got to play with, one of my best friends, mm-hmm. the drummer I got to play with. I've never played with a drummer who had a better pocket than he did, so it was just less playing with a full jazz band and more just playing with these two guys and being able to just groove and do whatever we want and have a bunch of horn players playing over top of us. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of fun and really taught you how to play a lot of different types of music. Like 
there's no way I'm ever going to have to play like a samba anytime <laughs> soon or play a walking bass line to a swing tune, but I know how to do it. Right. Which is kind of a fun thing to pull out of your pocket every once in a while. Definitely. Yeah. Recently, um, me and my buddies actually, I've been getting more into punk music than any jazz or anything like that now, so mm-hmm. picked up a guitar to play some of that and been teaching myself drums over the past year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm playing a band right now called The Dregs. Dregs. We okay. basically play parquet court songs and I butcher the drums. Okay. Yeah. But they give you that. They're like, yeah, we want you to improve your drums. We're going well, to stick through this It's two awkward. of my high school buddies who are also not the best musicians. So it's more just like three buds just fooling around. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you brought some tunes with you from the Drex. Oh, uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're not there yet. Nah. Uh, th- well, like, let's start from the beginning. Okay. <laughs> the origin story. Uh, first time I ever got into comedy, I got to say, I was like 11 years old. My uncle from Ireland flew over, and he never met my brother and I before, so he just gave us a present of this uh, a comedy special of this Irish comedian called Ed Byrne. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, it's, it's a good special, it's passable, but there's this one joke right at the very end of it where he makes fun of Alanis Morissette, the song Ironic, how nothing in that song is ironic. <laughs> and I don't know, that just got me. I thought that was the funniest thing on the planet. That and killed you right there. It killed me, and I thought like, man, I want to make people laugh like this guy just made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. And you were 11. I was 11 at the time. Wow. So I got into, you know, the typical people that 11-year-olds <laughs> listen to, like your Dane Cook, your Russell Peters, your, um, who's the guy with the puppets? Jeff Dunham. Jeff Dunham, yeah. All of which people I do not <laughs> like nowadays, yeah. but at the time, super people funny People like for Russell me. Peters? Um. And Jeff Dunham? What? Well, Jeff Dunham is kind of like outdated. Jeff Dunham's kind of a hack, man. <laughs> a hack, man? A hack. A hack. Yeah, he just... Ah, Doesn't very low-lying low, low, low lying fruit that he picks. Right, but, right, you know, yeah. he's made a career doing it, and yeah. now I'm never going to get to open for Jeff Dunham, <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> Screw it. Maybe he'll admire your honesty and ah, ask you for ways to one, better his craft. Yeah, but one of his puppets is listening to this. He just hates it. Nah, True. then moving forward, I got into improv, I think, when I was about 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Joined a theater company in... Calgary and worked with them for years and I've always wanted to try stand-up after that point especially being in this improv community where a lot of people who are above me were um, stand-ups on the side and whatnot so Mm -hmm. seeing them coming back from open mics and working on jokes in the green room before a show was really interesting and something that I always wanted to try Mm -hmm. but never really had the confidence to go out on stage by myself for the first time. So my buddies ended up signing me up for a high school talent show in grade 12. And that's where I did my first stand-up set. Whoa. Yeah. In front of your peers? and In front your... of my peers, in front of my parents, yeah, teachers, parents. everything. Yeah, uh-huh. it, was, it was great, man. Yeah, was it great? Um, well, like, you've done a set before, right? Yeah. 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 So, like, coming off your first set, you always feel like, oh, yeah, that was the greatest thing on the planet. Right. And you think you're untouchable. And <laughs> yeah, so you had a good reception. I, I had a decent reception. I wouldn't call decent. it a good reception. It, it was decent. But at the time, that's the first time you've ever been by yourself getting those big laughs. And it's addicting. Mm-hmm. Definitely not the best show I've ever done. Oh, did you re-listen to the tape? 
I, did I you didn't tape it? I didn't have a tape, but I talked to my buddies afterwards and <laughs> they had some They were brutally honest. They were brutally honest, which totally fine with me. Yeah. Hurt me at the time, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> yeah. it's all good. Yeah. I think you got the perfect amount of like reinforcement on both ends. You yeah. Know? You 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 need to be humbled a bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that you can actually go back and rewrite a joke so it's better, but you also yeah. need those laughs on the first time to actually get you going back. Definitely. Yeah, and then moved out to Lethbridge about a year after that, and it was tough starting stand-up in Lethbridge at that time. We had none of the mic, we had no comedy open mics. Mm. We didn't have the comedy club that we had. It was me and wow. two to three other guys mm. who were just stepping in on music open mics, telling a few jokes, getting heckled, and then leaving. Mm-hmm. And these were the same guys from high school that, that you no, were working with? No. No. Um, so you uh, one, they both went through the Lethbridge uh, University here and mm-hmm. both since moved on. Uh, Connor Christmas, mm-hmm. you know him, and uh, Solly KP. Mm-hmm. So the three of us kind of all started doing stand-up and whatnot at the same time and how moving you, through. How did you connect with each other? So funny enough, Solly and I went to high school together. We didn't really hang out much in high school, but then like you move to university and find somebody that like you went to drama class with, like, sweet, let's hang out. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, we did a lot of improv together in high school as well. So it kind of just made sense to start doing this together. And mm-hmm. Connor, uh, I did meet him in an improv tournament in high school, but the next, I hadn't seen him until it was the Halloween cabaret in my first year of university up at the Classic. zoo. Yeah. yeah. I was uh, blackout drunk calling him <laughs> Konar Santa all night. And uh, he uh, gave me his number. Nice. Yeah. And yeah, after that, we just... Been doing comedy Been since. doing comedy, yeah. So It's crazy how like it was just five years ago that literally, literally went from not even having an open mic stand-up. Yeah to now being a monthly thing and in fact uh weekly or bi-weekly at the new comedies it's weekly yeah Yeah. john pogo's club that he's got good times times. yeah he runs Mm -hmm. uh runs a lot of shows there he's got music going on there now too but i think it's every saturday night he's got a headliner doing two shows and Mm -hmm. yeah he's uh really liking what that club is doing to the lethbridge comedy scene getting Mm -hmm. a lot of people constant stage time which is a huge thing Mm -hmm. yeah but moving forward, I think I did most of my stand-up through university because I just had access to the open mics here. I had access to facilities that let me put on my own shows, such mm-hmm. as places like uh, the former Club Didi or Didi's Playhouse, as they call it now. Mm-hmm. They let Connor and I produce a lot of shows through them, right. which was a lot of fun. Got the, the, yeah, the Owl open mic, which was monthly. Uh. Got to do that every month. And mm-hmm. there was a period of time where there was about three or four open mics happening each month in town and crew of us would drive out to Medicine Hat every month to do some shows and yeah. That's a lot of commitment. See, like at what point did it go from like, yeah, we're just doing this for fun to like, okay, let's go out of our way. Let's plan our lifestyle around, you know, uh, whenever open mic nights are. And when was the first time you like approached an event and or maybe the zoo was it that you asked to do a performance? I never really asked to get a space. Give me the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of, no, I never really asked. I would always get asked to tag along. So I was never the person really promoting and pushing to have these shows. I was always the guy like, it'd be great to have Brett on board. Oh, nice. So there was a show at the, 
we try the first time I ever actually got asked to go to a meeting to help pitch a show to somebody. It was at a place called the Smokehouse, and they didn't take the show, but it was a nice meeting to have to sit down with an actual bar owner to see what they wanted out of it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, um, yeah, people just asked me to like, hey, do you want to help me put the show on? And like Connor Christmas, we produced the show for two years called D's Nuts. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, which was essentially a improvised stand-up show where we got a bunch of improvisers from town and comedians in town who would um we'd make up topics beforehand and put topics on a screen and they'd have to make jokes about a topic oh it's like improv yeah so yeah yeah. so we did that and because he was interning at club dd at the time he it was easy for him to get the space and Mm -hmm. he just needed the help of somebody to host and help do the logistic work behind the show and Mm -hmm. that's what got me into that but the first actual show that I got to produce that was all me was honestly this summer in Waterton. Ooh. Yeah, I approached a bar there saying, like, we should do a stand-up night. And they were like, yeah, that's a great idea. We've never done one before, so you oh, do everything. The first ever. Yeah, so. That, that Waterton has ever had? I'm not sure if that they've ever had, but the first one they've had in years. Mm-hmm. So we did it at a pizza joint there. Sold out, 75 people came. and wow. Yeah, it was a, that was honestly probably like the top three shows I've ever done. Wow. Just in terms of energy and just how much fun it was overall. Yeah. I was just hosting it, so I didn't really get to do a full 20-minute spot, which is fun, but like yeah. five minutes at a time, just Yeah, and you found it. people to perform? Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't take locals, no. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's like 40 people that live there, and I'm not giving one yeah. of them a mic. <laughs> yeah. No, I brought in two comedians from Lethbridge, John Pogo and Lakshgeet uh, Gill, as well as two comedians from Calgary, Connor Christmas and uh, Brad Trousey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Great energy. What makes a good crowd? The, oh, makes a good crowd. Just willing to listen. Mm. Like a crowd that listens, like even if they're not laughing, but if they're quiet. Like, Mm -hmm. you can tell you have a good crowd where you're getting the laughs, you're getting the laughs, and then you hit kind of a more somber point in your set Mm -hmm. where you want them to listen to every single word that comes out of your mouth. And if you do that and you stop and you hear nothing. Pin drop. Yeah. That is the best audience you can get because every single one of those people is listening to what you have to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hecklers. (laughs) I love hecklers. You love hecklers? Some people hate them, but... I think it's the improviser in me that really learned to just love him. Yeah. I got, I remember my first heckler. I was, uh, <laughs> oh man, did it destroy me? Oh no. I was doing a music open mic at, uh, what's the bar at the Lethbridge College called? I think it's called like the Den or something. The, I, I don't no know. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I'm, I'm situated. I know yeah, where I'm so, at. Yeah. So you're there and I was telling this joke, um, it was this bit that I don't do anymore because I realized uh, it was very factually incorrect. Just not a not a well-thought-out joke, but I got hackled for it because mm-hmm. the fact that I was using was wrong. Mm-hmm. And this guy roasted me and, like, good for him. He pointed me out and told me I was wrong, like, right on. But when you've only been doing stand-up for about three months at this point, oh, you oh were new. man, I was super new. Oh, no. And that devastated me. And I think... The other guys that I was with that night also had really bad sets. Mm. So we all went back to my house, 
mm-hmm. and all just got liquored. Yes. <laughs> because we felt very bad. I was going to say, what do you do after one of those bad nights? You get drunk. You get drunk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> Drink you had, to forget. You had a bad set, so yeah. either you let it just take over you and you never do it again or you're like okay well we got to get better but i really don't want to get better right now i just want to forget about what i just did Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so that first year there was a lot of nights going home and having a few wobbly pops (laughs) yeah wow yeah and you said that the one that you just planned the waterton um event was top three uh what were your other two that you did that was amazing well this we're not special one the special that i have on youtube Mm -hmm. that was a super super fun show yeah first time i ever got to do 30 minutes um like i was saying having an audience that's quiet and will like eat every word out of your hand that was exactly what that audience was Mm -hmm. i was there i was munching yeah i was eating yeah yeah Yeah. it was (laughs) yeah yeah, that was such a fun show and Mm -hmm. all the comedians we brought on with us just brought the exact same energy and yeah, it was just a blast. Um, okay, that's two of them. I need one more show to fill mm-hmm. this out. Maybe I should have <laughs> said that was in my top two. Yeah. Uh, and I was going to ask you earlier, too, in that introduction, um, I said you've been touring around uh, doing shows. And what are some places uh, outside of Lethbridge that you've that you've, uh, that you've you've done comedy? So in Alberta, I've done Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, um, Red Deer done calgary i've done edmonton then i've done a few open oh there was a slow pause in red deer oh uh, well because it's it's not to knock on red deer but it's red deer <laughs> <laughs> okay did you know that i spent some years in red deer are you from red deer yeah yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it was at the okay the bowling it was at the bowling alley yeah. in red deer yeah yeah so you're doing a show at a bowling alley it's right. as good as it gets man that's mm-hmm and then I've done Vancouver, a few mics out there. Um, heading out to Winnipeg here and doing a show out there. Um, yeah, that's about it, staying in this side of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably uh, the hardest mic I've ever done was in Vancouver. The I'd, crowd? N- the crowd was fine. Um, the comedians before me were great and everything. Um, but just like some mental stuff going on at the time, it's, it really shows that you need to be in the right mental state to actually do a show. Mm-hmm. Um, what had happened before my set was a friend of mine showed up to this show and was very drunk and started heckling the comedians on stage. Mm-hmm. And I was already seen to be with him. So right there and then all the comedians hate me because I'm with this heckler. Mm. The heckler ends up going into the back of the room and starts to yell at the host of the show. No. Yeah. So eventually, it's right before my set, the host of the show, like visibly like furious and shaking, comes up to me and says, you have to go throw your friend out of the bar right now or else you're not going up. Oh. So I had two minutes to go into the back of the room, tell this guy like, yo, get out of here. And he starts screaming at me like, You've embarrassed me in front of my oh, friends. No. <laughs> you need to get out of here. Oh, no. So after throwing somebody out of the bar and then going on stage, like, I'm trembling. I'm yeah. not an angry dude, and I don't like mm. to throw out anger in my stand-up. I'm a very, like, fun-loving, goofy. Yeah, yeah. And so just having that type of energy and emotion inside of you is very hard to get into the character that I was supposed to get into. Right. So. That was definitely the hardest five minutes of stand-up I've ever had to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think the set itself was still enjoyable for the audience, but... To deliver um, it was yeah. very rough. And I like to, if I'm in that kind of headspace, like, because it happened right then and there, I needed to let somebody know. Mm-hmm. So I let the whole audience know what happened. Mm. So at that point, wow. even the comedians were on my side at that point, like, thanks for throwing them out, like, we get it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And even then the audience, I think, can kind of empathize with you and say like okay that's the emotional state he's in Mm. so it might not be the best set anyways wow yeah 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 being honest with the crowd is huge that is amazing i did one show where i was heavily concussed and i let them know i was heavily concussed before the set and never should have done that set by the way Mm -hmm. because i bright lights right in your face yeah i almost passed out halfway through the set and like i forgot where i was halfway through as well so yeah but other people are laughing because they think that's a part of the joke. Like, yeah. Ah. Oh, wow. He's such a good actor. <laughs> yeah. When, no, I'm literally about to pass out over here. Somebody get me a napkin to dab this sweat off my face. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, run into that, do you run into the problem where people don't take you seriously because they know you as a comedian? Is that a thing? Where um, they know you in that light, so they're like, you know, always, you know, tell me a joke or... Oh, I hate that. Yeah. Oh, you're a comedian. Tell me a joke. That's when you pull out your worst jokes, so they just <laughs> shut up and yeah. not want to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, and you get that sometimes where you're recognized in the street, like, oh, you're that guy that did stand-up. I was like, yeah. How flattering. Yeah, Thanks, man. Yeah. I I don't know how to deal with people in the street saying that. Mm-hmm. I don't like dealing with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really love just pulling out the how worst bit you got. How often does that happen? Oh, um... In Lethbridge, especially at the university, it happened all the time. Like, you're taking a piss and somebody's like, hey, uh, did I see you at the owl last night? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you did. That was me. Like, that was really good. It was like, you could have picked a way better time, man. <laughs> yeah. Can I touch your beard? <laughs> oh, I, I get that a lot, too. I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. But I love pulling out the worst bit you got. What is it? Well, have you heard my booberry pie joke? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I love pulling that one out. <laughs> Nice. It's a bad joke. Yeah. Like, you guys ever hear the joke about blueberry pie? <laughs> Was that a no? <laughs> it's about blueberry pie, guys. I'm not talking about blueberry. Have you heard the one about blueberry pie? No. It's about it's about blueberry pie. Like like boo, like what a ghost says, right? <laughs> blueberry pie, not blueberry. Blueberry pie. Do you got it? Okay. <laughs> I'm laughing because I know the punchline. <laughs> What's a ghost's favorite dessert? <laughs> You've heard it before. You lied to me. Um, what's a, Okay, I got another one for you. I bet you haven't heard this one. Uh, what's a ghost's... Favorite, um, pastry-influenced cover band. 21 Blueberry Pilots. (laughs) Have you heard the one about Blueberry Pie? (laughs) Um, I like you guys. (laughs) There was one show that I did where I was the opening act, and at the end of the show, all of us comedians were sitting at the bar drinking, and a girl comes up and starts talking to the headliners and like, oh my God, you guys were so funny. <laughs> Just a yes girl. Yeah. And uh, then the headliner, like not wanting to talk to this chick said like, oh yeah, that kid did a set tonight too and pointed to me. 
She was like, you're a comedian? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Are you funny? Tell me a joke. So I told her my blueberry pie joke, and she just said, that's not funny, and left. <laughs> and those guys bought me drinks for the rest of the night. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So that blueberry pie joke, it's pretty funny, but context is everything. How you say it, the delivery <laughs> of it. I'm sure if you were to tell it, like, just, you know, on yeah. the street, tell me a joke, blueberry. Um people be like what the heck <laughs> what's you... wrong with this man yeah right how how is it that you uh do you do you spend too much or time like thinking about the order structure the semantics the um do you get nitty-gritty like seinfeld does and um you know he's you know a mathematician when it comes to like how by mathematician i mean like a wordsmith and and, and the very yeah. like you know I actually, I never write any jokes down. No? Like, I write premises down, but no, I definitely don't wordsmith anything. I think charisma and the way you deliver something is everything. The energy that you have towards mm -hmm. a joke, you could be saying nothing. Mm -hmm. And it could be the funniest thing in the world as long as you deliver it like you believe it's the funniest thing in the goddamn world. Mm -hmm. so like the booberry pie joke, it is, if you set a blankly with no expression or anything it's not funny <laughs> no. No. Yeah. but if you fully get into it and you fully think it's the greatest thing on the planet that can make such a big difference to a set really really stupid joke mm. but once again <laughs> delivery is everything if you right. just really get into it you can yeah. get people to laugh mm. at everything and people want to come out there and see somebody having fun goofing around and having a good time mm -hmm. so if you look like you're having the ball of your life chances are an audience is going to pick up on that energy and want to reciprocate with that mm -hmm. they want to have as much fun as you're having mm -hmm. and you do a good job with this your character that you were talking yeah. about earlier happy-go-lucky um everything is good like the delivery, the the tone, your the, that's definitely so important in terms of like yeah who you are mm -hmm. as well on stage. How did that character come about? Is that something that naturally happened, or did you meticulously you know explicitly kind of uh, pick the parts of these characters? Like I want my person upstage to be very outgoing, or did it just it's just it's, like an expression of you? It's lots of trial and error. Um, like when I started, it was my character that I had was very self-deprecating, not very animated, was looking at the floor and maybe that was just what I was internally feeling. And, um, I do have this kind of ideology that I like to think that like we all wear masks, right? Mm -hmm. Like if we're going for a job interview, we got to put on that job interview mask. If we're going to the on doctor a, on a date, anything yeah. like that, you put on a different mask and all those masks are like extensions of who you are just certain elements of yourself like exposed and brought forward yeah so once i kind of got that idea around me um then you just find what you think is funny and try to bring those characteristics out so just for me bringing out a goofball who doesn't care what anybody thinks and having that energy and bringing that to the forefront and really getting into that kind of took away a lot of the stage fright and a lot of kind of the fears that I had going on stage and gave me a new sense of confidence up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it's just like a, an, an expression of this facet of your 
whole being. Yeah. Like it's uh, you embellished in this goofy yeah. role. And it fits your script, you know, like it yeah. fits your jokes. Like if you were in the older you kind of vibe, self-deprecating, whatever, I'm sure your jokes would have would have more fit that yeah. style. Yeah, my joke character. writing has definitely changed since I got on a new character and... Like, even within my sets, it's fun to play with different characters. Like, I got my goofball guy who will talk about birds for five minutes, and then mm-hmm. you kind of take a serious twist and start talking about something a little, something with a little bit more substance. And being able to switch between those two characters, I think that's where improv really helped me with stand up, mm-hmm. was being able to find these characters. Um, Mm-hmm. being able to find what makes them tick and mm-hmm. really get into them and switch between them, I guess. Yeah. Improv seems to, like, help you tenfold in terms of developing your oh, yeah aspect. And you being on stage so much, has that has that uh, transcended into other areas of your life? Like, do you feel like as um, um, a university student, I don't know, you felt more confident doing things? in front of an audience of any kind or I was um, never really scared growing up of being in front of an audience mm-hmm. but I think the one thing that improv and even stand up really helped me was failure mm-hmm. improv they teach you right off the get go like you gotta fail a hundred times before you get something right and I think that's something that especially in today's like education system and whatnot, is it's such a focus and emphasis on don't fail you have to be perfect and I think that is such a terrible hole for people to fall into. And so learning to fail and learning to fail with grace and being like, well, I messed up this time, I'll get it better next time is such an important quality that people don't catch in on. Mm -hmm. Like baseball players. Mm -hmm. Completely different tangent here, but baseball players are some of the best failures on the planet. Mm -hmm. When you can hit a ball 30% of the time that you're supposed to do your job and be considered really good at your job, that's incredible. These people will strike out like five times in a row and they won't let that get to them. They failed five times in a row at something and were able to get back the next at bat, shake that off, and still perform. I think, yeah, I can't talk enough about how important failing is. Like even in school, you fail a paper, you write a real bad paper. You're never going to do it that same way again, whether it's the way you prepped for the paper is wrong or the actual writing style that you did was wrong, you're never going to do the same thing twice if you failed at it the first time. Mm -hmm. And if you do, (laughs) that's on you. Mm -hmm. Failure is a very necessary part of of learning, of growing, right? And it'd be a failure, if anything, to have made a mistake twice over because you didn't maybe, you know, learn from the first time around. Exactly. You know, failing is a part of the learning. It's it's very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Motivational speeches by Brett. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hire me. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Going back full circle on the whole MLB. You've been playing too much of that. Way too much, Way man. Too much. I have to sell my PS4. It's uh, it, was, it was bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, going back full circle again, what 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 was what is your future goals, if any, uh, on this continuum of comedy and growth? Well, like I used to... Everybody who gets into art, they kind of start off like, I want to be famous, man. Like, when I started, I wanted to be like that Seth Rogen to have my own TV shows, my own movies and stuff like that. But the more and more I do it, I don't... Well, like, I see a lot of stand-up comedians who do it for a day job around Canada. And it's a hustle, man. Mm 
Mm-hmm. It is a hustle. And I got such mad respect for everybody that can go out there every day, do their set, sometimes get a shit on, sometimes do amazing. But just doing that every single day and having to rely on a paycheck from that, that doesn't really appeal, appeal to me anymore. Like, I like to do it for the craft itself. If If I can go through my whole life and just get to go to open mics and get to keep writing new jokes even if I'm in a small town and just make people laugh, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I get way, way more like fulfillment from doing it for myself and just getting those laughs from people than I ever did getting a paycheck from it. If opportunities come, God take them. Mm-hmm. But I don't think at this point I'm going to seek out trying to make a career and trying to make it big doing it. Mm-hmm. It's more, I guess, like a hobby car building type thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I can make money doing it, I'll do it. But mm-hmm. I'm not actively seeking it out. Right. And sometimes it ends up taking the fun out of it, you know? Yeah, exactly. If you're doing it for external purposes. Yeah. 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 And you're going to Australia soon, you were saying. Yeah, November 20th, I fly out to Australia. And so uh, is that like a temporary, permanent? Are you doing? Are you going to be doing or seeking opportunities to do stand-up there uh yeah totally i've already reached out to some clubs in brisbane to try and get some spots out there but we're moving out there we got a work visa for a whole year so we'll at least be there a year we're trying to extend it to two yeah um yeah something completely different um not necessarily going out there just for stand-up going out there to travel obviously Mm -hmm. but if I can get mics out there and I can see kind of how the Australians do it down there, it's kind of an opportunity you only get once, right? Mm-hmm. Mics all over the world, how people tell jokes is going to be different, so. Definitely. Yeah. You're going to be the Canadian. Yeah, and I look like a Canadian too, so. You look too, like it. So you are the face of it, yeah. I just got to put on the <laughs> accent and then like. They'll love you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Larry. Oh, Yeah. That's so great. So what we're going to do now uh, is we're going to listen to a clip from uh, We're Not So Special special that you did. Um, And you could find that special on YouTube if you uh, type in We're Not Special by Brett Hutchinson. Or you could find it um, wherever you get your podcast from. If you're listening to this on your podcast, there will be some kind of reference to it uh, in the description. If you're listening to this on CKXU 88.3 FM, uh, you should stay tuned for more to come in the next hour of programming. Um, however, if you do want to take this from the radio to the podcast, I'd recommend it because there will be exclusive content, stuff that I don't have time to, to, to get to here on the hour, but there is more time on the podcast platform, literally everywhere you get your stuff from, wherever you listen to it. I'm there. Y'all know about hurricanes? <laughs> I, um... Hurricanes are kind of bad news. <laughs> I've, I've, lots of people die because of hurricanes. And I feel like... I feel like most of those deaths we can probably, like, circumvent. We don't, like... Half those people that die in hurricanes, we don't need them to die. I'm going... <laughs> like, I think... We name our hurricanes wrong. Like, I think that's the main reason people are dying from hurricanes. Hurricane Katrina? All Katrina sounds like is some sort of, like, sultry Caribbean princess coming to the Gulf of Mexico strictly to get you wet. I want to be there for that. I wouldn't leave New Orleans. I'd stick around. 
Hurricane Sandy. I know a 60-year-old lady that whenever I'm like, she was my neighbor. And whenever I came home for the holidays, she'd always invite me over for grilled cheeses. If I heard Sandy was in New York, yeah, I'd be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> so many deaths that we can, that we don't need. We need, a, we need to change the naming system of hurricanes. Like, we can still stick with the alphabetical order. Like, first hurricane of the year starts with A, but you know, instead of naming them after people, why don't we just name them after things that scare people? Like, really set the bar about what a hurricane actually is. For the fourth hurricane of the year, Hurricane D, we'd call it Hurricane Danger. <laughs> Leave nothing up for imagination. When the letter G, no, uh, when the, yeah, the letter G rolls around, be a hurricane, grab your family and your prized possessions and leave town immediately. <laughs> My personal favorite hurricane, the first hurricane of the year, really tell people what we mean, is hurricane, ah, ah, oh my God! Nobody would stick around for that. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, welcome back. I hope you've enjoyed the stand-up comedy snippet that I pulled off of Brett's uh, video on YouTube. You could check out. Um, he talked about hurricanes. And, and then after that, you probably heard a song. You, the song you heard was Wake Bake Skate. Walk us through Wake Bake Skate. Uh, it's by a band I really like called Fiddler. Uh, it's an acronym actually for, uh, F it dog, life's a risk. Nice. So I think that's a beautiful, uh, <laughs> kind of a beautiful acronym for stand-up comedians out there. Like, screw it, man, just go for it. Um, that's actually the song that I walked up onto for my special. And oh. Yeah. So that band got me through a real tough time, man. Where like, you're 23 years old. You don't think you have anything to offer the world. And that band kind of just told me, it's okay if you got nothing to offer, man. Just drink, have fun, and hang out with the like, hang out with your friends. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, for a, a time there where I didn't really think I was going anywhere, it was nice. It's just a nice band and a nice song that kind of makes you think it's okay to be stuck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like chill. You yeah. Know? This, is, like, this, is, this is the time for you to, to, to have fun. Yeah, this is what it is right now, so just embrace it and, like, don't feel bad about it. Yeah. Just unapologetically do what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess that was the anthem for then, and then you've transitioned to the uh, I'm, I'm piecing out to Australia. We'll figure out a song for that. Yeah, Six White Boomers or something. I don't know. Six Wag Boomers? Do you not know that Christmas tune? No. Oh, it's an Australian Christmas song. Oh, wow. You're already into the culture. Um, I, I had to sing it in an uh, elementary school choir. What? Yeah. What is it called? Six White Boomers. Six White? Wh white Boomers. Boomers. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Six White Boomers. <laughs> white Boomers. <laughs> Racing Santa Claus through the blazing sun. Wow, all it's right. It's about, like, kangaroos where, like, the in Aust Australia, they can't use reindeer down there pull a sleigh because it's too dang hot. So they have kangaroos, <laughs> so they got kangaroos pulling the sleigh? Oh, instead. my gosh. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Well, so what is a boomer is a kangaroo? I guess so. I need to learn this stuff before I go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, thank you for the song. And then also the the comedy special we heard, the, yeah. the snippet, the hurricane. How do you, what's your process for writing jokes? Do you, where did you get your inspiration for that one, for example? Um, it was during Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> nice. No, actually it was during Hurricane Sandy, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, my neighbor at the time, her name was Sandy. Mm-hmm. And she was a really nice lady, and all these people were, like, up in a tiff about... Well, New- Hurricane Sandy was a real bad hurricane. Like, it hit hard and lots of damage, and you can't take that away from it or any of the victims of uh, the hurricane, but... Mm-hmm. However... However, Sandy is such a nice lady. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I just kind of thought it was funny that we named things after... I don't know. You just see something on the news, and you thought it was stupid, and like, okay, yeah. let's roll with this. Yeah. So that one was th- didn't take that long to write, but. Mm-hmm. And no- do you just like take note of it on your phone? Yeah. And then- like the notes section is just filled with stand-up ideas and just a whole heck of a lot of just point form ideas. Of you're just walking around during the day, and you think of something funnier, you see something odd on the stream. It's like, okay, I'll jot that down. That thing has legs and. Mm-hmm. My process of writing is kind of abstract, I guess. Usually if I have a long drive to myself, I like look at my phone and pick a few of the ideas that I liked off of it and turn off the radio and just try to improvise to myself these bits. Mm-hmm. And eventually you start finding kind of avenues that you can take and deal with things. I'm also a real big fan of collaborative writing because... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, finding somebody else to like look at a joke that you've been writing for so long and you can't really find an ending, it's really nice to have a writer who knows your brand and kind of knows what you're going for in a joke mm-hmm. to say, maybe you should do this with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because you don't write it down, do you ever suffer the risk of, you know, you have the main premise of a joke in your mind, you know what direction you want to go, and then there's like the middle stuff that you just kind of fill in, but sometimes some jokes are said better uh, one day and not the other day. Like, um, I don't know, I, I did, my one experience with stand-up is that um, when you're, I did the same thing, I worked with my friends and we wrote and improved each other's jokes mm-hmm. beforehand and we performed repeatedly before hitting the stage and when we got to the stage, it was like it's a completely a different whole ball different game, ball man. game yeah. you know? Because I'm nervous, all these things are happening, you're not focused on just what you're about to say, but everything else in the room too. And um, So how do you, I guess, avoid that? Or is that something that just comes with time? That It comes with time. And delivery, yeah. I don't think it's something you have to avoid. I think it's something you should embrace. Embrace the room, embrace the uh, like fear. I totally forgot what, where the question started with. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just embrace it man yeah you're gonna screw it up no matter what you're gonna screw it up and i don't even think that a joke should be the same each time because you're always going into a stand-up set with a different emotional energy um different life experiences since the last time you did it so i i never think a joke is done Mm. a joke should never be finished writing a joke is always evolving and if you don't memorize, or at least for me, if I don't memorize it word for word, I won't get into my script. Mm-hmm. If I get into a script, I found out in the past from trying this that I get very stoic and I just go through the motions and I get through my set way too quick. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I don't write it down, I improvise the middle of it, I'll find like little tidbits that I throw in each time that I was like, oh, 
that little improvised few words was really funny and I should try to keep that into the rest of my bit. And I will write those like little words. Mm-hmm. So I guess when I'm writing a set, little insight to my joke book, I'll have like the bullet form, like the joke name, and then I'll just have a few bullet points of like, these are the talking points you need to hit throughout it. Mm-hmm. Everything else in the middle, you can fill in the gaps, but here are the really funny like punches that you get throughout the middle of the joke. So for me, improvising it, you just find new punches every time you do it. Maybe you say this word with more emphasis on this syllable and it gets a laugh that time. But if I have a script, I don't get to find those fun little nuances in each joke. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even going back to music and the musician in me, like words are rhythms and you can play around with how you just throw those rhythms out there. And it could be a lot at least like sonically more pleasing for an audience to hear this set of words right next to each other, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like throwing in alliterations. Alliterations are funny. And getting those syllables all lined up is auditory pleasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a playground. The stage is a playground. That's a you just got to act like a kid. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's very poetic. And so, uh, last thing, leave us with some uh, some advice for, for the young, for the beginning um, comedians, people that have ideas, they have jokes written down, uh, but they are, you know, struggling to find the um, the incentive to go out there to do it, do it, the it's, thing. It's really easy just to tell somebody, like, go out there and do it. Hey, just do it. Yeah, buck this up and Brett do it, man. Giving you permission to do it. Uh, I, but I hate that because <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you need to you need to know that you're gonna suck. You need <laughs> yeah. to know that you're not gonna be good at it, and that is totally okay. If you were good at it the first time you went out, then there's something wrong, and you need to embrace that failure. Like I said, but at the same time, don't let that failure like make you quit. If you think you're funny, if you've if you have a sense of humor, somebody else out there shares it with you. So whether it's getting up there failing, realizing the way that you wrote this joke isn't funny, and needing to go back and rewrite it, do it. But just you won't know until you take that shot. And even on top of that, um, with PC culture and everything happening nowadays, people are worried about being offensive and stuff. And just, now here's where I would say, like, just do it. Just don't be offensive, guys. (laughs) Every joke you can talk about it, but you need to be smart with how you approach subject matter. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a beautiful thing about today's culture is people out there are not afraid anymore to let you know that what you did is offensive to them. And I think that's awesome. I think we people really need to speak up for themselves. And it forces comedians to better approach their jokes, approach them in a smarter way. And instead of punching down on these groups that have been getting punched down, it brings them up. And if we can find a way through humor to bring these groups of people up, that's a really kind of universal truth with humor. So Spark Notes, Brett's advice... Just do it, and don't be offensive. Beautiful. Yeah. Put that on a t-shirt. Boom. Who's making the t-shirt? Thank you, Brett, for coming on the show. That's been a, it's been a blast having you. It's been really cool learning all about comedy and um, what amazing potential it has to teach us valuable lessons. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it didn't feel like an hour. Yeah. It just went by quick. Yeah. Yeah, I right? could sit here and talk for another. Yeah. 
I can sit here and listen to you talk for another hour long. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Where can people reach you? Um, my phone number is. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I got I got the Instagram. You can find me on there. Um, I kind of got up while well, I didn't get off Twitter. Um, I got a new phone and I forgot my Twitter password. Oh no! And it's connected <laughs> to an email account that I don't really have access to of anymore. Course, of course. So. You can send me a, a tweet at at Brettsticks, and I might see it in a year or two. <laughs> um, Instagram is where I do a lot of my a lot of my stuff and promotion. So mm-hmm. you can find me on there at I don't even know what my Instagram handle is. Just look look for Brett Hutchinson and find a guy who's holding a lot of fish, and that's me. Uh, Facebook, I'll answer it. Um, MySpace, don't have it anymore. I'll start it for you. <laughs> Nexopia, if you buy me Nexopia Gold, like, I'll do anything for you. Oh, that's funny. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, <laughs> I'm moving to Australia. You don't need to get a hold of me. <laughs> Just let me be for a year. When I come back, I'll tanned, looking like a leather bag. Then you can contact me. Nice. I'll see you back here in a year. Yeah, if you'll have me back in a year. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm still here, I don't know where I'll be in a year. But yeah, I might have an accent by then and a, and a few shark wounds. Yeah, that'd, be, that'd cool. be nuts. That'd be cool. Then I'll just do an hour talking about sharks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shark Week podcast. I'm excited for those uh, those stories from Australia. Hopefully I get some good ones. Mm-hmm. I want to meet some wild people. I really want to work in a gas station in the middle of the outback. So I feel like that's where you'd meet all the crazies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope you have some kind of like kangaroo related incident, you know? Well. Where you just get kicked in the. T- <laughs> I don't just, know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to Thanks, get injured. Thanks, man. You just want me to get kicked by a kangaroo. <laughs> no, dude. I just want somebody <laughs> I know to have the experience so I can talk about that experience as if I know the guy that you got kicked live by a kangaroo. Through me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Without the pain. I just wish you didn't have to suffer the pain either. Hey, you know what? <laughs> I will be I'll be the one you can live vicariously through. Oh, cool. That's fine by me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Thank you for listening. Slapping hands on the road, yeah, yeah, that's where I've been at Screaming fans at the shows, you know, that's where I've been at Sleepless nights come and go, yeah, yeah, that's where I've been at But I'll never forget all of the places that I've been at Where you been at, where you been at, we've been waiting to know Where you been at, where you been at, we've been waiting to go Where you been at, where you been at, we've been lined at the show Where you been at, we've been waiting to know, yo I spent long nights with no sleep writing new songs to new beats But all that's got me a baggy eyes and empty loose leaves Wondering if this is best for me but said nah screw it Like Nike decided to just do it Man, I try my best, I admit it I'm dropping the verse and they all turn to critics They sound like the witch of the west, man They wicked, come with it or quit it Hands up in the air like it's Quidditch Trying to put words together like a game of Scrabble But they say I dabble But it's easy to horse around When you sitting in the saddle at my next up Dressing for greatness and seeing the fruit of my passion Or just another black kid Who's good with the adjectives Like, what am I doing? These questions of mine just fill up my brain Getting accustomed to nights and lights and frights And two minutes sleeps on a plane, man People are saying the hype should be bigger And I should be known like common sense but unfortunately, you can't make a living off of high fives and compliments like, whoa. 
I ain't ever holding back If they wonder where I'll be, tell them the top is where I'm at Slapping hands on the road, yeah, yeah, that's where I've been at Screaming fans at the shows, you know, that's where I've been at Sleepless nights come and go, yeah, yeah, that's where I've been at But I'll never forget all of the places that I've been at Where you been at, where you been at, we been waiting to know Where you been at, where you been at, we been waiting to go where you been at, where you been at, we been lined at the show Where you been at, we been waiting to know Yo. I keep running, I keep running with these two feet Whoever thought I'd turn a profit out of loose leaf Everyone's like, who's he? The name's Blue C Gather round and we can all kick it like Bruce Lee All they wanna do is get lit, take hits Wanna follow my dreams, get picked to the spit They're chasing that life and I'm not one bit Makes me wanna back up and just quit Life's throwing me a fastball and I ain't gotta make it So can't wear the shoe if the size don't fit They place me and rate me but can't ever face me I'm born to be great and y'all here just to hate me T with Tanatsu and Toby and I Started the group when we thought we could fly Real talk, try to cut our wings, but me, I'm stuck in the sky Said I'd make it to the top, they said that's absurd But like alphabet soup, I'ma make them eat their words, word I guess that's how the cookie crumbles Talking smack, don't mumble Running with me, please don't stumble Cause even boulders, they turn to rubble Kings, they often struggle Trying to stay humble, avoid the trouble Slapping hands on the road, yeah, yeah That's where I've been at Screaming fans at the shows, you know That's where I've been at Sleepless nights come and go, yeah, yeah That's where I've been at But I'll never forget All of the places that I've been at Where you been at, where you been at We been waiting to know where you been at, where you been at, we been waiting to go Where you been at, where you been at, we been lined at the show Where you been at, we been waiting to know, yo Marty McFly mode, the future is the present Infinite time zone, no need for reminiscing Ain't no disrespecting, homie, just check the message Know the places that I've been, then you know I'll be a legend Trials and tribulations, felt the burdens of the pressure Tired of contemplating, time to give it all my effort Gave me 16 measures to make the crowd go vicious And if I miss it, I'll be gone in a minute And my kick game got me shooting flames in your system Trying to focus on my family, but I'm no Peter Griffin In today's day and age, feels like something is missing Time to embark on the mission and reconnect with the children Whoa, Wyatt Trombley, spitting flames like a flambe Flash running laps when I'm rapping, I do it promptly Always check the rear view, no matter the size, the driveway, and the places that I've been, I always remember fondly. Slapping hands on the road, yeah, yeah, that's where I've been at. Screaming fans at the shows, you know, that's where I've been at. Sleepless nights come and go, yeah, yeah, that's where I've been at. But I'll never forget all of the places that I've been at. Where you been at, where you been at, we've been waiting to know. Where you been at, where you been at, we've been waiting to go. Where you been at, where you been at, we've been lined at the show. Where you been at, we've been waiting to know, yeah.